what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Say, I have an open mind and a teachable spirit. From this moment forward, I will never be the same. Shout it out, never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God one more praise. Amen. Amen. We're going to be talking for the next few weeks probably about wholehearted seekers of God. How many realize that uh, we want to be wholehearted seekers of God? There's a man by the name of Mike Murdoch teaches uh, wisdom principles, really into the wisdom stuff, you know, and uh, leadership principles. And he made a statement one time. He said that you will never make a change until you are angry enough to make a movement. That, that it takes anger or pain always to, to promote action on our part. That if, as long as we're comfortable, well, we just hang. But uh, if we ever get real uncomfortable or really upset, we'll do something about it. We get, in other words, we get you mad enough, you'll do something. Right? So I thought I'd take that on as a calling today <laughs> and see if I couldn't just irritate you a little bit. So to promote some movement in your life, some growth in your life. It, realize that here we are at the garden. I don't know if you're aware of it, but at the garden, God's doing some crazy good stuff. People calling all over the country, asking us questions, checking things out. You know, uh, you know, to be three, just over three years old, we had over 600 people in services last weekend. Saturday nights are full. We're probably going to have to break that service into two, multiply that service. We've got property on the outside of town that we're looking at buying, uh, and, and we've made the offer, and we're just going through the routine, making sure we can do everything we want to do there. And, uh, well, well, how much are we going to need? If we want it, it's ours. We've got enough money to pay for it, so we'll just buy it. Uh, you know, and God's moving. It's all kinds of awesome stuff. But then I look at it this way, though, that I still know that God wants to take us from where we are somewhere different. Okay? Trust me now. H hear me. That, and I'm not saying we're not building. I'm saying before we break ground on the building, we've got to let God break, break, break ground on our hearts. Amen? Hey, your life of victory and your connection to God, your personal relevant relationship is way more important than a sanctuary that seats 500. Hello? That what God wants to do in you is so vital. Someday, God, God li listen to me, just, you know, in, in, your, in your vision chamber, <laughs> uh, picture it, people coming in that, that, that are far from God, don't know God, walking into the presence of the most holy one. And chains of bondage being broken off of their life and, and freedom being injected into their environment and, and health coming all over because of the environment that's been created by you that lets the presence of God flow freely and operate. That's where God's taken us, to that place where our heart is right and connected with God. If I asked you today, how many of you, and please don't respond right now, this is a trick question. I didn't want to make it a trick question. I wanted to hammer you, but God wouldn't let me. But, 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 but how many of you today, I mean, just really, if I asked the question, how many of you are wholehearted seekers of God? Many hands would go, I'm a wholehearted seeker of God. But you know, the problem is, is that you cannot seek God with a whole heart until you first possess a heart that's been made whole. And our problem is, is that life has hammered us and broken us and chiseled chunks out of you. And you got, you, you, you've got to find some time in the presence of God where you can make your heart whole before you can be considered a wholehearted seeker of God. 
You can't seek God with a whole heart if you ain't got a whole heart when you start seeking. So before we call ourselves a wholehearted seeker of God, we got to go somewhere where our heart can be made whole. You with me? Psalms 119, verse 2. It says, blessed, happy, fortunate, and be envied are they who keep his testimonies. By the way, it's hard to keep a testimony if you don't know what the testimony was. If you're not in the word, if you, if you don't know the word, if you don't know how to apply the word, if you don't know what God said about that, then it's hard to keep that about what God said. Right? Amos, Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? You know, uh, Micah 6.8, he says, he's showing you a man what is good, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Walking with God is an awesome invitation. It's a beautiful calling in life. But he said, how can you walk together unless you're in agreement? So you've got to get in agreement with God to walk with God. It's hard to agree with God if you don't know what God said. Because if you're not careful, you'll, be, you, you'll just wander, not, not intentionally, but you'll just wander off the trail. Why? Because you don't know where the trail's at. You don't know what he said. How are you going to keep his testimonies if you don't know what his testimonies are that you're to keep? Well, we just start with the Big Ten. Right? We, we got the Big Ten. They're down, if you don't know what they are, head to the courthouse. Because they got them on the wall down there. They don't keep them, but they do got them on the wall down there. Okay. <laughs> you can take a picture. It's not, well, I don't know if you can take pictures there, but you can, you can, you can write them down or something. Okay. We'll get to one of them in a little bit. But, uh, you know, keep his testimonies. Seek, inquire for, and of him. Crave him with a whole heart. 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 Man, I, I just want us to get to the place where we're just so excited about God. You know, we're not ashamed to admit we're just God freaks. You know, uh, you know I, I remember uh, growing up in the church, and I got to tell you, there was, there was a season in my life where, you know, you say the word church, and I just want to vomit. I, I was tired of it. Been around, you know, everybody I knew that was angry, bitter, and upset, they went to church. Come on now. You know, uh, if you wanted to find out what was wrong with somebody, you just swing by the church. They'd tell you. And uh, good Lord, you know, that's heavy duty, hard to take stuff. But, but then one day I had a different connection and actually it was like god was introduced to my life i, I hope you heard what i just said because i'd gone to church for years and never met god because he didn't hang out in most of the churches i went to had a connection with god everything changed oh everything changed you know i realized that that is what we need Man, you, you need to have a collision with God, a head-on, messed-up collision with God so that when you hear the word God, church, you know, you know spirit, you, you just go, oh, yeah, I'll take some more of that. God needs to become so real, so relevant in our life. We are so changed by his presence that we are seeing the manifestation of, of real power, See, what God, what God intends to do in us, through us, will require characteristics of, of intense, passionate pursuit for his presence. Remember that the final outcome is always dictated by character. Okay? Try, try to pay attention to me. Um, character is always connected to final outcome. You cannot have wonderful character and a crappy final outcome. 
Not, not, not consistent. You, you cannot have really messed up character and wonderful outcome. You cannot do it. Character is always connected to final outcome. Character are simply characteristics, which are always connected to habits, right? So the habits that you possess are, are going to determine the character that, that, that you manifest. So character is habits. Habits is simply something that you can do without thought. So it, it's an action that is performed consistently. So a habit is always connected to your actions, you perform certain actions consistently long enough, and you will have that habit. But you've got to have the action. Action is always the result of choices. Choices are made by your emotion. Every choice you've ever made is emotionally based. You're either making a choice to protect your feeling or a choice to protect your future. Godly emotion will always make choices that will protect your future. Carnal emotion will always make a choice that protects your feelings. If your emotion is messed up, you'll decide to do things to protect yourself. If you've been hurt and you, you, you got that little hurt anger thing going, then you start making choices based upon that because you don't want to experience that again. Realize God has never made a choice that was based upon feeling. His choices have always been based upon future. Garden, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they sin. They break it, you know, down the stuff. They, they mess up. Here comes God. He takes them out of the garden. He puts guards at the garden gate so they can't get in. That wasn't punishment. That was protection. Because while in that state that they were in, if they ate from that fruit of the tree of life, that fruit said that whatever spiritual condition you're in, you'd remain for eternity. So they were not separated from God. So if they ate from the tree of life, they'd be separated from God for eternity. So to protect them, he took them out of the garden, posted guards there until he could come up with a plan to redeem mankind. It wasn't based upon feeling. It was future. See, to get the outcome that God needs for your life, you have to have the character, the characteristics that that outcome demands, which means that you have to have the habits that will produce those characters, which means that you have to make the choices, which means that you have to have that emotion. Are, are you with me? That when you know what God has for your end, then you know what characteristics must be produced. Here in the Bible, it says that if we have a whole heart, we'll be blessed. That word does not mean given new cars and big houses. It means position to win or succeed in every given situation in life. That's one of the characteristics that God wants you to possess is the ability to win or succeed in every given situation in life. God wants you blessed. He wants you walking in victory. He wants you demonstrating the power of God. He wants your life to humiliate hell. He wants you, hello, somebody. He don't want you beat up from the street up. He wants you strong, large, and in charge. He created you to rule and reign in this world. So the characteristics, one of them is that, is that you'll crave him with a whole heart. How do you do that if your heart's not whole? So the enemy's got us at a great spot, doesn't it? Because he can just keep your heart messed up. He can keep your heart filled with other things, and you ain't even got room for God. You, you know how, how difficult it would be for God to really begin to move in our life and in our society? We don't have time for him. Come on, we're busy. If God's going to heal you, he's got to do it in a 35-minute chunk of time. If God's going to move in your life. He's got to perform miraculous deeds that will cause you to be in some place you would have never been so that he could do what he probably couldn't have done had you not been there. 
blows our mind at, at all of the stuff that God has to go through to, to, to get our heart on God. And the fact of the matter is, is that if we asked you, how's your heart? You'd say, my heart's fine. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, how, do I, how, do you, how do we know that? Well, we're going to heaven. I, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you know, you're going to be okay. So I pray that sinner's prayer. I'm going to heaven. I've got, I've got eternal life. I've got eternal life. I'm going to heaven. You do realize that eternal life, that's zoe, the Greek word zoe. Zoe is God life. You've moved from your life into God life. You do realize that eternal life is not meant for heaven. Eternal life doesn't begin when you're dead. Eternal life begins when you're born again. Hopefully you're going to experience eternal life here on earth. I'll really mess you up. Man wasn't even created for heaven. Heaven wasn't created for man. So why we're all focused on someday, one day getting to heaven, it's kind of an interesting deal, but that's a totally different message. Like I said, I'm just here today to irritate you. So I'll just probably throw out all kinds of little things like that and just rub you around in it. I just prayed that prayer so I get born again so I could have eternal life. What are you going to do with eternal life? Well, when I get to heaven, too late. Eternal life is not for heaven. Eternal life is now. Jesus said, I've come that you might have and enjoy life. John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come that you might have and enjoy life eternal in abundance to the top till it overflows. You, God life, God life is so much life, is so much life that it can handle your situation. Your life it's just a little bit of life that can't handle hardly anything. Shoot, if I can tick you off in church, trust me, the devil can get you out there. Okay? So, so, so your little life, life with a little L. God wants to give you life with a big L, capital L, baby. God, God came to give you Zoe life. Zoe. So check this out. Uh, I don't have this one for the screen. It's John, uh, I think, 16. Am I right? 17. John 17, 3. Uh, Jesus talking, John 17, 3. You might have to actually open your Bible. And Wow. Okay, um, <laughs> pages still stuck together. Let me pull that apart. Okay, here we go. John 17, 3, and, and this is life eternal. Life, zoe, eternal, without end. Here, Jesus talking now. Here is zoe life that knows no end, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus said, here is zoe out of control, when they know you and me. Well, I know God. I'm here today to tell you, I doubt it. <laughs> I can't believe we came to hear this. I, I'm, I'm praying to God today that you hear this. That word know is, is uh, gnosko. It is not to be acquainted with. It is experiential knowledge. It is to experience I, I, uh, it is a personal knowledge grounded through a personal experience. You have had literally a, a collision with God, and suddenly you know some stuff that you did not know before you collided with him. See, here's our problem is that many, many times we, we, there's stuff that we think we know, but we don't know half of what we think we know. And most of what we know, we know wrong. Because it ain't what God said, it's what somebody told us God said. Here, here's my, my dilemma, okay? My, my thing, grew, grew up in church, born on a Wednesday. We were in church that night. Serious. Been in church every day of my life. I, you know, really been around the church. Even when I wasn't serving God, I was traveling with a gospel music group, and I was in charge of the altar call. 
dude, this is weird. Okay? But until I experienced God, until, until, until I experienced God, it, all I had was a religious understanding. There are stuff I've heard people say, God said that, and when I went to the Word of God, that's not what God said. That's what they said God said. They weren't evil. They weren't mean. They weren't trying to lead me astray. They just thought that's what he said. I've heard people quote things as Scripture that ain't even in the Bible. All men were created equal. You know, Abraham Lincoln's cool, but I don't think we want to canonize him. Is Bible what? What does God say? You know, I mean, we gotta know. We gotta know God. So, well, I do know God. No, man, that's like me saying I know flying. I don't know flying. I know making reservations. I know getting an e-ticket. I, I know waiting in line. I know losing luggage. Right? I know traveling long distances without any food. I, I that's what I know. I don't know flying. To know flying, you have to spend thousands of hours in the cockpit with all kinds of, of you know, situations that, you know, to really experience flying. I, I, I know flying. No, I don't. I know about flying. Watch a little video. wing. He's just lost his wing. You don't know flying. That guy knows flying. You know what's funny is that 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 that, that picture right there, and and that that's like many of our lives. Where's my wing? Oh my God! My favorite line in the whole video: Run! <laughs> See, you just know about flying. We just know about God. Middle of a crazy situation. Run! But the people who have experienced God, great peace have those that love law. Nothing shall cause them to stumble or fall. See, we, we don't know God. I know it's difficult to wrap your brain around the reality that, well, I know about him, but I really don't know him. It, it, is, it is not comfortable to have somebody kind of get in your face and say, man, you jacked up. We want to say we're all right. But we're, we're looking at an eternal picture. But what about the present darkness in which God has called you to make a difference? See, the, the world is asleep in the dark. 
But the church is asleep in the light. We got, we've got the good news. We got great power. We've got incredible miracle working power. Where? No, we got t-shirts and bumper stickers. Weird attitudes. Touchy, emotional. Let, let me tell you what we got. We got broken hearts. We can't seek God with a whole heart because we don't have a whole heart in which to seek him with. So we've got to come to a place where God can mend our broken heart. In Exodus chapter 20, here's one of the big ten. He said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I know that what we think is that that means that, that you know, he's the top dog on our totem pole. But what that literally means, the word before is in front of or in the presence of. God said, you'll have no other gods in my presence. Don't bring your idol in here. Now, get this, you have other gods. The word worship means to rivet your eyes or attention on someone or something. Vine's expository dictionary says to sit at one's feet even as a dog sits at his master's feet and licks his master's hand. If that is true, if, the, if worship means to rivet your attention on someone or something, then when you go to work tomorrow and you're sitting at the computer and your attention is riveted there, what are you doing? You can call it work, but you, it's called worship. What is your child doing when he's at the computer screen at MySpace for four hours at a time? His attention is riveted there. What, what is that? Well, that's an idol. What are you doing when you go home this afternoon and you flip on the set and you watch the game and your attention is riveted there? Just, I feel a, a draw towards this section for some reason. <laughs> well, are you saying we shouldn't watch TV? Are you saying we shouldn't have MySpace? Are you saying I shouldn't go to work? No, I'm saying that when your attention is riveted to someone or something, that's a form of worship. And all God is saying is, wait, when you come to me, please come empty. You can pick that up on your way out, but don't bring it in here. See, when you're worshiping God, don't, your mind shouldn't be somewhere else. It should be right here, wrapped around the reality of God. God said, if you're not empty, I can't make you whole. Because your heart's got stuff in it, I need you to empty it out so you can bring it, I can make your heart whole. Then when you put the stuff back in there, oh, it'll influence you differently. No, you'll influence it. But right now, your, your heart is, is, is not whole, but to get a whole heart, you got to bring me an empty heart. I can only work on the portion that isn't filled with something. How does God fill that area of your life if it's already full of stuff? It's kind of like this. Picture your storage unit that's full of all your stuff. Remember when you moved the last time? You remember, I can remember the last time we moved. When we moved into the house that we're in, we packed up all kinds of stuff, everything we owned, obviously. We packed it up. We put it in the boxes. When we got there, uh, we, we took in immediately the things that we had to have for that night and for those days. And, uh, and you know, in our lifestyle, you know, kind of busy. We probably had church coming up, you know, one of the services or something going on. So we get, wh what are we going to need for the next week? We don't care about tonight. What do we need for the next week? Make sure that's in the house. Put everything else in boxes in the garage. And after six or seven months of walking around these boxes, 
The only time we made a deal, the only time that we would go to the garage to get a box is if we absolutely needed something that was in that box. Because you know what happens is you open the box and you get what you need, but you also bring in the junk that you didn't need that was located in the box with the stuff that you need. So here's the deal. We're not going to get anything unless we have to have it. After six months, seven months, might even have been longer, there, there's still the garage was full of boxes of stuff we didn't need. So we could store it in case someday we needed it. Well, we don't need it now. Why would we need it then? Why did we buy it? We thought we needed it. Why is it in storage? Because we just thought wrong. So what we did is we just sold them. Had a garage sale. We even had a few boxes unopened. It's the garage sale surprise. <laughs> Obviously didn't need it. But you, you realize that, the, that, that when, when the garage was empty, suddenly I could use the garage for the purpose of the garage, which was to park the car in the garage. But as long as I had stuff I didn't need, I couldn't use the thing for which it was created, so it was full of other stuff. Is it possible that there are areas of your life that are so full of stuff you don't need that God can't use that area of your heart for the purpose in which it was created? He, if he could get us to empty our heart, he could fill our heart with, with great things that he has for us, but he can't get it in there because our heart's full of stuff that we don't even need. We're under the impression that we need it. Well, it's because we're deceived. And you've got to remember that one of the greatest difficulties for someone who's deceived is that they don't know they're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you'd do something about the deception and you'd get rid of it. But the reality is that we're deceived. James puts it this way. He said, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. Amplified Bible says that many have deceived themselves through reasonings contrary to the truth. It doesn't line up with the word of God, so, and you're still building your life on it. So it's a reasoning contrary to the truth that brings deception into your life. Remember, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. So what is the first thing we think we need to do? We need to do something. No, read it again. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Be, you got to be before you do. Are you with me? You got to be before you do. Because if you just start doing, well, what you be is going to show up sooner or later. See, what you be, that's your character. If you don't deal with the character first, you can't consistently perform the action that's inconsistent with your character. So if you change your character first, then you can perform consistently, and pretty soon it's just a habit. You do it without thought. But if you're not careful, you try to do all kinds of stuff that's not really what God intended for you to do. And it doesn't come out right because it's not motivated by the right attitude, by the, by the right emotion, by the right you know, it, it's motivation. It's just, it's just wrong. Why? Because that ain't who you're supposed to be. Well, who are you supposed to be? You're supposed to be a possessor of a whole heart. God wouldn't ask you to seek him with a whole heart if it wasn't possible for your heart to be made whole. God wouldn't ask you to do something that he couldn't equip you to succeed at. So when he says, seek me with a whole heart, guess what? We think we're supposed to seek God. No, you're supposed to get a whole heart so you can seek God. We've got to get to a place where our hearts are whole. We have to come into a place where we experience God, not hear about him, not know about him. 
Oh, this is a crazy challenge, especially to give in church. Because I'm talking to people who are under the assumption that they know God. And I'm here today to tell you, nah, you don't. Certain levels of experiential knowledge that we possess, but none of us have a full level of understanding of who God is and how he operates and what he wants to do. We just don't know God at the level we think we know God. You know, to do what God's called us to do, there's certain characteristics that are going to be required, right? To get the outcome God wants, there's character that has to be there. There's habits that have to be there. You know, I've had people ask me, when are you going to teach about tithing? You know, because we're looking at a three to five million dollar project. When are we going to, I bet you're going to do some teaching on it. I don't have to teach multiple weeks on giving. Don't have to do that. You know why? Because when you know God, you will do what he says. When you've had an experience with God, you'll just, all of a sudden, you just start doing what God tells you to do. That's kind of, well, here, it's Bible. Uh, let's go to, right, go to First John. Did I give you First John 2? This is different, each service. <laughs> it's kind of funny. He who keeps treasures his word, who bears in mind his precepts, who observes his message in its entirety. Truly in him has the love of and for God been perfected. Realize that the love of God, it is the love of God. It is love. Trust me, God is love. God is love. So when, when, you're, when, when, when he impacts your life, when you experience God's love, it's going to change everything you do. But it says, it says that the love of and for God has been perfected. By this we, we may perceive, we may know that we are in him. Look at verse 4. Whoever says, I know him. I perceive, recognize, understand, I'm acquainted with him, but fails to keep and obey his commands is a liar. Now, I just want to point out that that's the Bible. I didn't make that part up. So when I look at you and say, liar, <laughs> don't get mad at me. The Bible says that if you say you know him, but you ain't doing what he says, you're a liar. The truth, that's the word, ain't in you. You haven't experienced the truth. But look at verse 5. But he who keeps the word, who bears in mind his precepts, who observes to his message in his, truly in him has the love of God been perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. How do I know that I know him? Well, you do what he said. See, you, I can tell you all kinds of stuff. You ain't going to do it because I said, but when you know God and you experience God, you do anything he said. All of a sudden, your life just going to get different. When he says, I want you to walk in joy, regardless of the circumstance. See, I can tell you that and tell you that and tell you that and tell you that, but until you experience God in the middle of a hellacious situation, until you are flying through the air and your right wing flies off and you hear the ground below you go, oh my God, where's his wing? And you hear the motor sputtering and your, you know, your adrenaline is pumping through your body. Until you hear the people screaming, run, but you know in your heart, oh, I ain't going to die here. I'm just going to have joy. I think the Bible says we sang it twice today. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, until you experience God, you just complaining about your day, calling it prayer. But once you experience God, oh, you will rejoice. You will be glad. 
Why? Because you've experienced God. I've been here before. You know, just a couple of thoughts as we close this morning. You want to write this down. If you're ever going through hell, here's what to do. Don't stop. You know, we've been through hell a few times. I know some of you have too. We saw you there. Um, <laughs> the, the weird thing is that some of you guys had set up camp. It's time to move on now. Come on, pack up. Let's go. Okay. Uh, when you've been through some stuff, you'll learn some things that you couldn't possibly learn any other way. Right? Some of you guys have been through some heavy-duty life challenge, but you've been through it. And so now you know what God can do in the middle of that. So God's going to use you with other people, maybe so that they don't have to go through it to learn what you know. Maybe you can share your experience. And here's the deal, is that what God wants to perform in our lives is so powerful, but he needs us to experience him right where we are today so he can change everything that's out in front of you. I know your mind has a tendency to wrap onto the past, but he's not a God of the yesterday. He said, I, you know, I have a hope and a future for you. It's a brand new day. God will do a new thing. He ain't going to repeat what you already had, but you need to experience where, you're, where he's at and where you are with him so that you can go to where God's taken you without any thought of anything that's going on right now. So that you're not distracted by sideshow manifestations of demon manipulation and all the junk that the world's trying to press down your throat. No, no, no. We need to experience God. We need to experience God. We need to have a passionate hunger for the presence of God in our life so our hearts can be made whole. We have to have a willingness to say, you know what? I'll empty myself out for an hour. I'll just pour my life out over there and come into the presence of God over here and give him an hour of me empty. You know, I want to challenge you this week. I don't know how, how much you read your Bible. And uh, just so that you understand the way deception works, if I asked today how many of you believe reading the Bible is vital, most of us would raise our hand. Yet the, the number of us that actually read our Bible is totally different from the number that would say we believe it's very vital. But the reality is, is that only the people who read it believe it's vital. It is an action that is a manifestation of a belief system. It is not a confession. It is an action. So you only believe the things that you do because you do the things that you believe. You might be in agreement. You might have mental assent. You may, it's, like, it's like watching you know, an exercise show on the TV while you're eating a double cheeseburger and drinking a milkshake. You can be in agreement. Yeah, that works. But you don't really believe it until you put that down and go out and get you know, your gym clothes on, right? Until you're praying, reading the Bible, you don't believe it. When you believe it, you'll do it. Do you realize what would happen in the life, the, the traumatic difference that would occur in, in, in a huge majority of believers if, if they just read their Bible every day? They just read the Bible. You know, Barna did a research uh, not too long ago, and they researched uh, uh, pastors, first they, they, they pulled pastors and surveyed pastors, and they asked them, thousands of pastors of different denominations, what percentage of your congregation uh, would, would consider their faith in God as their number one transcending priority? And they, they came back, well, between 70 and 85%. 
So then Barna went and they, and they surveyed just the congregations of the pastors that they had surveyed. And, they, and their, their end result, they came back with this, is that 15% of their congregations believed that their faith in God was their transcending priority. 15% really possessed the faith in God as a transcending priority. That means that, 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 their, that their relationship with God was ultimately key about everything. 15%. Well, there's why... We are in the condition, you know, as a nation that we are. Is because we think we're believers because we go to church. No, you're not a believer until you do what this says. See, ultimately, relationship with God, intimacy with God. Christianity is not attending at the garden. Christianity is not going to church multiple times a week. Christianity is not, it's not serving the body. I'm an usher. I'm a greeter. I'm a children's worker. I'm a, that, that's great, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is relationship with God, which produces a different lifestyle than one would have without that relationship. We need our hearts to be made whole. I'm going to challenge you this week. Read your Bible pray take a little bit of time every day this week and set it aside and say okay god i'm gonna set everything else off to the side and i'm gonna come focus on you nothing but you and you say well i don't know how to do that great then learn i'm gonna gonna take 10 minutes of my life and empty myself out and and just say okay god 10 minutes, I'm yours. Set a date. If you got to pull out, you, you know, your Palm Pilot and get it in there so you can have 10 minutes with God, carve it out every day, give him 10 minutes and let him decide what to do with it. Have breakfast with the Holy Ghost. Get another bowl out and set it out there and let him decide what goes in it. Okay. Get empty. Let God have a moment in your life. And start allowing him to bring wholeness to your heart. Because what God's going to do in us and through us is going to demand that our hearts be made whole. Okay? So this this whole service this morning is just about bringing you to this one spot. I want to challenge you. You think you know God? I got to tell you, the people who have experienced God in different situations act a lot different than most of us do. I've seen people who could not walk ever get up and walk. I've seen eyes that look like marbles clear up from the bottom up and a lady that had no sight her entire life could see. I've seen miraculous things, but nothing compares to when someone who has been beaten and broken and hurt by life be restored by the power of God and begin to walk a life of victory. Nothing compares to that. 
I believe that what God is going to do in this place is he's going to take lives and he's going to elevate them to a position of victory and they're going to walk through life and they're going to demonstrate Satan's defeat. They're going to live a life that is humiliating to hell. It is going to just be uh, you know, a slap in the face every day to the powers of darkness and it's going to bring glory to the presence of God and to the name of God because of the great victory that they walk in every single day. But I've got to tell you something, that to get to that place, there are probably a few areas where you're going to have to act a little bit differently. We, we, we just got to tell you the truth, okay? I just got to tell you the truth. If you need somebody to wrap their arms around you and hug you and tell you it's going to be okay, Jim will be here right after service, <laughs> and uh, he'll, he'll, be, he'll, be, he'll be ready. And not that that's weak. Man, we need it. But today, today I'm, man, I'm just on assignment, guys. There's just this thing for the last couple of weeks. And, and, and honestly, there, there are moments, and Shelby will tell you, uh, you know, th- there are just moments where, where I, just, I almost feel irritated because there is a spirit of indifference that has attached itself to God's people, and it drives me crazy because people who are in desperate need of God's presence are saying, I'm okay, it's not me, it's my neighbor. I wish you'd tell him about Jesus. Well, he could get Jesus, and you wouldn't know it because you wouldn't recognize it. (laughs) Our problem is we don't know God. I'm going to challenge you this week to ask God to show up in your life for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. 10 minutes of you encountering God. 10 minutes. Some of the junk that has you upset, you won't even think about it anymore. Some of the personalities that you struggle with, you realize, what in the world have I been wasting my time on that for? Some of the stupid things that have your attention wrapped up. Trust me, stock market can do anything it wants to. I will never be upset for one minute about what's going on in the stock market. You know why? Because I have experienced God in my finances. I just do what God says to do. Are you saying we shouldn't invest? No, I'm telling you, do what God tells you to do. Do what God tells you to do. He knows the outcome. And then when when you do what he said, he produces what he promised every single time. So why would I care what the stock market does when I know what God's going to do because I'm walking in obedience? See, doctor can call me up and tell me I'm going to die in 30 days. And I'll say, thank you. The power of God's working to me. Goodbye. Oh, by the way, doc, I'll see you in 45 days. You want to know why? Because I have experienced God in the physical realm. Sent my dad home to die in 1980 with cancer, tubes going up his nose so he could be fed. They'd given him radiation and, and chemotherapy. His heart had been burnt in half. This guy, this guy who, was a, who was a boxer, a bodybuilder, big old honking dude, was down to nothing, so weak he had to lift up with his hand and push his head up. And he sat in a chair with no strength at all, took one verse and walked himself back into victory and health and lived another 20 years after that. And when he died, it had nothing to do with what they said was killing him. I've experienced God in that realm. You can, you can get sick and die if you want to, but I will not die but live and declare the goodness of my king. Well, yeah, but you say that now. You have no idea. See, people who have experienced God act totally different than people who haven't. Some of the things that irritate you, I know, I'm out of time. Some of the things that irritate you, some of the things that bother you, some of the things that frustrate you, some of the things that motivate you. See, if you, if you had experienced God, you wouldn't be like that at all. Are you saying I'm not a Christian? Pretty much. Yeah, whatever. 
but you feel good, right, in your misery. Hey, it's going to take, take a body of people walking in 100% victory. You hang around. Hey, if I make you mad, good. Hang around a while until you get breakthrough. Just hang out. Well, I ain't going to give a dollar to the building fund. Praise Jesus. Is it, that's even better because you'll watch everything go up around you. You'll watch him work, and then the next time we do this is we're going to build 20 churches, not one. Then the next time we do this, you go, oh, I better participate. I, I don't like the way you talk to us. I don't, wait, I don't like the way you look at me. But I will be back next week. Let's get honest. We're going to get real. Let's get real. Trust me, you hang around long enough, you're going to experience God. You, I'm telling you, it's going it's to blow. It's going to blow up. It's going to mess you up for good. Close your book. Close your eyes. Bow your head. Let me pray for you.